1: The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent those of any organization, including one generation away.
0: The freedom of a people to choose its leaders is the root of liberty.
1: Keep alive this experiment in liberty.
0: Liberty, in case you've forgotten, is the soul's right to breathe. Government should be
2: very minimal in protecting liberty. Peace cannot be purchased at the cost of liberty.
1: The sturdy ground of liberty. Liberty once lost is lost forever. Fight for their liberty and for our security. Guarantees individual liberty. This great republic born alone in liberty. 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 Just how much do you want liberty? This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. A production of LibertyNation.com. Cutting through the double talk, taking on the topics, going after what the politicians really mean, and making it all clear. For your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. The barbarians are at the gate. This is
2: what happens when liberty turns to license. Welcome back to Liberty Nation Radio, a production of LibertyNation.com and heard from coast to coast on the Radio America network. In a week marked by radicals storming the park across from the White House, burning an historic church, and trying hard to topple the long standing statue of a former president yards away from the White House, will anarchy continue to flow through the streets of the nation? Will the Democrats elected to maintain order do their jobs or let the radicals keep running wild in the streets? We'll talk about how the nation has descended to this point and what it all means for the presidential election now just over four months away. But we'll also bring some good news, the return of Major League Baseball, which we'll discuss with Andrew Moran of LibertyNation.com. Plus, L.N. Legal Affairs Editor Scott Cosenza joins us for a discussion of threats and promising developments regarding your individual liberty on Talkin' Liberty.
0: Say what! Say what! Say what! One more time!
2: We kick things off with our signature segment, Say What?, where we roll out a virtual assembly line of wacky, astonishing, damnable and ultimately revealing things uttered by politicians in the chattering class, it's hardly an exaggeration to say that we have now entered a full-strength cultural civil war. The radicals and anarchists are no longer interested in a conversation and haven't been for at least the last four years. They use the George Floyd tragedy to demand drastic action right now leading to insane ideas like defunding the police. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. Words matter, and defund means to deprive of funding. It does not mean to reduce it, as some people on the left are trying to say, to protect themselves from the overwhelming consensus among Americans that the police are vital to public safety, even if there are more bad cops than there should be. But perhaps the most disturbing element in all this is the abject surrender of people and companies far and wide to Black Lives Matter, once thought extreme, now depicted as mainstream by the virtue-signaling media bathing at the deep end of the pool of political correctness. And it's everywhere. Viewers who tuned into the ESPY Awards presented by ESPN expecting stuff about sports, were instead treated to a lecture by athletes from three
1: sports. I pray for a world where I don't have to fear for my children due to systemic racism from hundreds of years of oppression. The only thing that must die is racism. Black lives matter.
2: Do black lives matter to you when they're not throwing touchdowns,
3: grabbing rebounds, serving aces? If that was uncomfortable to hear, good. Colin Kaepernick never shied away. He knew that discomfort was essential to liberation and that fighting the oppression against black people is
1: bigger than sports. This is our moment to prove that we know a better world is one where black lives are valued.
2: No one deserves white privilege. That was Russell Wilson, NFL. Megan Rapino, the radical lesbian soccer player and her life partner Sue Bird, WNBA. But the re-deification of the sainted Colin Kaepernick, who started a lot of this by taking a knee rather than standing for the national anthem, is now apparently on course, to the point that Kaepernick should be considered heroic, according to the great former NFL quarterback Brett Favre, who compared Kaepernick to a player who left the NFL to join the Army and was killed in Afghanistan.
1: It is deserving of of much praise and and respect because it's not easy for a guy his age, black or white, Hispanic, whatever, to stop something that you've always dreamed of doing and put it on hold, maybe forever for something that you believe in. You know, I can only think of right off the top of my head, Pat Tillman's another guy who did something, you know, similar. And, um, And we regard him as a hero. So I I, I assume uh, that hero status will will be stamped with, with Kaepernick as well.
2: So Brett Favre, almost certainly a future Hall of Famer, compares a guy taking a knee to make a political statement to a guy who gave up the game to fight for his country and lost his life doing so. That's the moment of cultural upheaval we're in Right now. The nation's most powerful Democrat, Nancy Pelosi, has enthusiastically jumped aboard the deconstruction train, of course. The House Speaker tosses around reckless accusations about Trump every day of the week, of course. But this week, she went DEFCON 1 over Republicans and the murder of George Floyd because their police reform legislation doesn't include everything that's in her bill. And then she went on CNN to double down
0: when you were speaking yesterday you said that republicans are quote trying to get away with murder actually the murder of george floyd senate republicans are demanding an apology for that statement will you apologize absolutely positively not Uh, the fact is people say "I i think you frankly in the press have given them far too much credit for a bill that does nothing
2: again there's where we are Without Trump even being involved, the most powerful Democrat in the nation says congressional Republicans, including the widely admired black GOP senator from South Carolina and sponsor of the bill, Tim Scott, are trying to get away with murder. You know, the, the radicals pick apart every word we say. They say our words matter. So do theirs. Words like Murder getting away with murder. But of course, the normalization and elevation of Black Lives Matter wouldn't be complete without the media playing from the same sheet music as the Marauders on MSNBC, where they must be feeling like their time has come with all the progressive rage coursing through the land. Washington Post columnist Eugene Robinson defended the toppling of statues going on far and wide, from Confederates to now Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, as he decried hundreds of years of white supremacy, apparently not even realizing that everything he decried was under the rule of the Democratic Party.
1: These monuments were generally erected around the turn of the 20th century, decades after the Civil War. They were erected at a time when um, uh, the South was, um, you know, had ended, had strangled Reconstruction in its crib, and and was imposing Jim Crow repression. Taking down Confederate monuments is not destroying history. It's it's actually. Uh, presenting the real history, because the monuments themselves were an attempt to distort history and to tell a false story about the Civil War.
2: In other words, they shouldn't be allowed to keep statues of Confederates, a debate which has raged for years, but which is now considered by the militants and their white liberal supporters to be beyond debate. Much easier to just topple them all one by one, no one stopping them, and move on to larger prey as they have George Washington and the succession of white supremacist founders and presidents, all with the tacit, if not explicit support of the Democratic Party. But the litany of attacks on President Trump from the left every day have been supplemented in recent days by another of those former Trump hires who got bitter that Trump didn't do everything his way. And so he wrote a book to make money attacking the man who resuscitated his dying career. John Bolton, one of Washington's foremost egomaniacs, and of course that's saying something, Warhawk. And according to former Trump press secretary Sarah Sanders, who worked closely with Bolton during his entire tenure as Trump's national security adviser, Bolton was always about Bolton.
3: John Bolton was your classic case of someone who was completely drunk on power, who thought he was the president. He was constantly pushing his own agenda, which was all he cared about. The big problem for John Bolton is that's not how it works. He forgot that no one elected him to anything and that it was President Trump and President Trump's agenda that mattered within the White House. For 17 months, he went out and championed President Trump and his agenda, saying all the things that he was doing right, how he had been tough on a variety of countries, and now all of a sudden that he is a disgruntled former employee, his entire tune changes, and I don't think he has any credibility at this point.
2: Rex Tillerson, James Mattis, Michael Cohen, Stormy Daniels, Michael Avenatti, and all the rest, all telling Trump tales out of school. And now John Bolton, caricature of the Washington persona, all full of himself and his own importance, and as Shakespeare once said, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Nothing. But what President Trump said about Joe Biden and black people this week was also full of sound and fury, but it signified a lot more than nothing. It signaled once again that the president is absolutely intent on trying to steal a bigger chunk of the black vote away
1: from Joe Biden. Virtually every policy that has hurt black Americans for half a century, Joe Biden has supported or enacted. I've done more for the black community in four years than Joe Biden has done in 47 years. Racial justice begins with Joe Biden's retirement. We'll
2: discuss how the frightening event steps away from the White House this week and the occupation in downtown Seattle reveal how this boiling political climate has for the radicals turned liberty into license. But first, we'll discuss an upbeat turn of events, the
1: return of Major League Baseball. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. Stay ahead of the curve with libertynation.com. With one click, you get tomorrow's news today with LNTV's Hot Topics and Analysis, Liberty Nation Radio, The Uprising and Rabbit Hole Podcasts, and dozens of insightful original articles. While the media establishment giants are sleeping, You can stay ahead of the curve with LibertyNation.com and get tomorrow's news today. LibertyNation.com. We believe that all men are entitled to blessings of liberty. This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner, For a
2: nation beleaguered by months on end of sickness, isolation, and violence, the bar is set pretty low for something, anything, that can distract our attention even for just a couple of hours. That's why sports fans in general and baseball enthusiasts in particular are celebrating the return, finally, of America's national pastime, albeit in substantially altered form. But this potentially magic moment does provide MLB the opportunity to continue its long tradition of rescuing the nation's spirit in times of profound crisis. A quick step back in time can tie together the potential impact when bat mercifully meets ball on July 23rd, if only on TV and not in stadiums where fans are prohibited. Indeed, As baseball prepares to loosen the iron grip of COVID-19, we think back to 9-11 and Pearl Harbor 60 years before that. Those events which will forever live in infamy, both mitigated by the healing waters of baseball. Joining us to discuss whether baseball can lift the spirits of a tired and anxious nation one more time is the man... Officially titled LibertyNation.com Economics Correspondent, that's his day job, but one of his true passion revolves around the belief, like mine, that baseball is the greatest game ever invented by God, or man, or God and man. Hello, Andrew Moran. Hello, sir. Thank you very much. That was a very poetic introduction. Well, I appreciate it from someone who is poetic in his own writing. Now, so... We know baseball fans are excited, even purists like you who are skeptical about the efficacy of a 60-game season when it would normally be 162, but it's a in this sprint rather than a marathon. Do you think this first reopening of a major sport really can lift the people's spirits?
3: Not really. I mean, I think it will probably generate some buzz and serve as a temporary distraction, but everyone is still going to be perturbed by, you know, everything that we're, that we're supposed to be outraged by. I mean, I love baseball, but I don't think my spirits are, are going to be elevated from a 60-game stint. Of course, you know, that would change if the Boston Red Sox won the World Series, and then I would think, you know, the the 2020 season is a great, one of the greatest of all
2: time. Now, wait a minute. Is this going to be one of these things where if any of the other 29 Major League teams win the World Series, you Going to, you're going to discredit the legitimacy of it, but if it's the Red Sox, hey, they 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 played the hand that was dealt them and went all the way. Is that I, I see this happening, Andrew? I mean, oh, I, oh, yeah, I definitely say I think
3: every every single fan is, is is going to have that belief. They're going to say, you know, oh, you know, this is a great season. That as soon as you know the Yankees or you know the Astros win the World Series and say, ah, it's nothing. It doesn't count. We talking
2: about? You know, the Astros have to be the biggest beneficiaries of this because there's going to be no fans in the stands. And if Mm -hmm. there were, every place the Houston Astros went after they cheated their way to a World Series championship three years ago, they'd be booed off the field. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, there's going to be a lot of high and tight fastballs uh, up in the kitchen, so to speak. But the season... uh, Andrew, that we're getting ready to witness is like nothing we've ever seen or are likely to see again. So many changes to the normal order of things. Which of the changes in baseball for this shortened season do you think will help the game and which might hurt?
3: Well, as we discussed last time, you know, I, I think because the season is going to be a waste, you might as well do experiment. I don't I don't like any of the changes. I mean, I, I like how the National League uses pitchers in, in the in the ninth spot. You know, I hate having a runner on second base in the 10th inning. I hate the three batter. Bit of you know, I highly doubt some guy, you know, who's in his 40s. He's never watched the game. He's not going to suddenly change his mind and say, yeah, this is the greatest sport because now you have a, a relief pit, a left handed relief pitcher who's throwing, you know, three straight batters. You're not going to have a change after their first for first pitcher. I think overall this is bad timing for baseball, just because it's going to be hard to attract that much attention. Uh, the only thing that I think that would save this season is if everyone is, is just beating beating the crap out of all the Houston Astros players throwing <laughs> fastballs at uh, at uh, Jose Altuve and trying to you know take his jacket his his jersey off and see if he has a, a buzzer underneath the shirt. Uh, so you know unless there's fights going on, nothing's going to help baseball in in this uh, in this climate.
2: OK, well, thanks for that, that sunny, optimistic outlook, Andrew, on, on the return of baseball. I was feeling pretty good, really, for the last couple days. And now, you know, you're the buzzkill of all buzzkills. I'm Buzz Killington. Uh, I think that's from Family Guy. Next time, we'll have you on to talk about economics. Oh, please. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Grab, grab your la- razor blades. Andrew Moran, LibertyNation.com quick break and then we're back to discuss how the chaos in the streets represents liberty
1: turned to license. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner.
0: Far more important than my political future and
1: far more important than yours, the well-being of our country. This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner.
2: When crazed Iranians attacked the U.S. Embassy in Tehran and seized 52 hostages back in 1979, it was not a spontaneous event. It didn't happen overnight. The forces separating civilization from savagery were whittled down steadily over weeks by the barbarians at the embassy gate. Is this what we just witnessed in our own country with a seething, vengeful mob gathering steps away from the national seat of power, the White House? It may sound overdramatic, but the violent anarchists bent on occupying urban America have not slowed down. Far from it. They've now taken their campaign of destruction to a new level. And why not? They've not met any resistance from the Democrats elected to uphold the rule of law. And they are bolstered by the certainty that whatever actions are taken to thwart their lawlessness will be perverted by a legacy media which long ago sacrificed their last shred of journalistic credibility at the altar of destroying Donald Trump and all who support him. The fact that the president promised to vanquish the attempted occupation across the street from the People's House and the fact that the mob was ultimately dispersed does not change the reality of that frightening display. Hundreds of protesters attempting to topple the long standing statue of President Andrew Jackson adjacent to the White House, desecrating St. John's, the Church of the Presidents, for the second time, then seizing and sealing off an area they called the Black House. Autonomous Zone, or Baz, I guess is how it's supposed to be presented. Does this sound familiar? Of course it does. It follows the left-coast forerunner, first called Chaz, then Chop, depicted as the summer of love. A block party. A harmless way for righteous protesters to put their anger on public display as they exercise their right to free speech and assembly. Yes, that's how the woman elected to lead one of the nation's 20 largest cities and the willing sycophants in the fourth estate presented the occupation of a swath of urban America known as a rogue nation of chop, renamed from chass. But whether these deconstructionists and anarchists carrying the label of Black Lives Matter in Antifa intended or not... Their unlawful seizure of prime territory in the midst of downtown Seattle, and now, of course, Boz in Washington, plus similar attempts elsewhere, stand as an apt preview of what the country will look like if the progressive march on America results in Democratic Party rule in 2021. These occupations bring life to the worst fears of the people who understand the fragile nature of ordered liberty. This is what happens when the extraordinary bundle of freedoms we're granted in this unique constitutional republic are exploited by criminals and tyrants, mighty and petty. This is what happens when liberty turns to license. Do any members of the Seattle occupying force actually realize or care that constitutional rights cease to apply when they infringe on the constitutional rights of others? Let's put it in a way even the anarchists might understand. When you threaten or loot or burn or occupy a community, you have threatened the safety and security and life's work of countless innocent individuals. Some of these radicals preposterously cite the First Amendment, but most don't even bother since they're anarchists, which means they don't believe in the legitimacy of law itself, and especially not in this steaming cauldron of white supremacy known as America. And if the laws they seek to terminate are no longer being enforced, they can continue having a field day without fear of justice. These losers who've accomplished nothing, nothing in life, have been allowed, even encouraged, to deprive residents and business owners of their most fundamental expectation, enforcement of laws that protect them from exactly the type of predators we see on the long leash of Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin. We've witnessed the same abdication of duty from D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser and the whole gang of craven Democrats holding power in the broad mass of urban America and virtually all of the city struck by violent protests. This is what passes for leadership on the left. But what to make of those tranquil scenes of peace-loving citizens strolling the occupied streets of Seattle, enjoying street art and food and music... Well, those are the daytime images transmitted by media evidently sworn to protect these people. But we all know that criminals ply their trade most effectively in the dark of night. Of course, our betters in the elite media have zero interest in covering chop after dark. But we now know the truth about the putrid underbelly of this block party from a courageous undercover journalist, Andy No who lived through five days on the chopping block. What no unmasks is a love-in during the light of day, transformed into an arcade of lawlessness under the cover of night, ruled by strong-armed vigilantes, unconcerned with justice beyond the range of their own weapons. Here's some of what he wrote. No laws or rules applied here except for one, no cops allowed. Left-wing protesters stole city and business property to build a wall. Some of them openly carry rifles, handguns, batons, or knives. Rapper Raz Simone, real name Solomon Simone, patrols the chop on some nights with an armed entourage. Gunshots and screams of terror at night have been reported. A shooting erupted that left at least one person dead, another injured near a border checkpoint, Police were met with resistance when they tried to get to the victims. Police arrested another man after he left the Chaz or the Chop or whatever, accused of sexually assaulting a deaf woman who was lured inside a tent. Police Chief Carmen Best stated that police response times to 911 calls in the surrounding area have more than tripled because the force is down one station. Homes and businesses within the CHOP, an estimated 30,000 residents have no say over their new overlords. This armed anarchy and brute force criminality in the streets has gone so far beyond the justifiable outrage over the death of George Floyd as to render that whole conversation old news. This has now become strictly about the rule of law. Can citizens no longer depend on the most basic protections from their government? Most Americans unable to flee the madness remain in riot-scarred cities and be forced to live in fear of armed lawless militia ruling their neighborhoods, threatening their safety and property and businesses. Are they no longer entitled to police protection? Let's put the bottom line question in the starkest terms. Are elected leaders of the Democratic Party no longer willing to enforce the law? Are we living in America or a banana republic? Especially in light of President Trump's Nixon-style pronouncement of law and order as the foundational issue in his reelection campaign during his unofficial kickoff in Tulsa last week, the sides are forming for a full-strength cultural civil war. On one side, progressive deconstructionists in government, media, and academia, anarchists, black militants, and fearful, impressionable white liberals now sold out on virtue signaling. On the other side, Trump supporters and anyone else who refuses to bend to the will of the mob. The choice has rarely, if ever,
1: been more stark. And we'll be back with Talkin' Liberty. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner.
2: And now it is time. Some would say, including Scott, it's beyond time to bring on our regular contributor, constitutional lawyer, LibertyNation.com, legal affairs editor, and our own personal guardian of individual liberty, Scott Cosenza. Hello, Scott. Hello, Tim. Nice to have you aboard once again. Let's go right to the Supremes, and I don't mean the music group. The Supreme Court siding with President Trump on speedy deportation of asylum seekers.
4: Tim, uh, it's been a disappointing week for Supreme Court watchers because of their uh, slow pace of releasing decisions. Uh, We got two this week. Uh, I don't think either of them were blockbusters. This decision has to do with the formalities that somebody has to go through if they come to the United States and seek asylum and the authorities determine their uh, asylum request is to be denied and then what due process rights they have going forward. It's a seven to two case um, with multiple decisions. And basically what it was is the conservatives all seem to agree that Uh, The law was fine that allowed, uh, you know, some limited due process rights for these types of applicants. And then the liberals were split with Breyer and Ginsburg uh, agreeing with the ruling um, and then dissenting necessarily that there's a more broad application for this ruling. And uh, Sotomayor and uh, Kagan, who dissented both uh, in the ruling and then in their reasoning.
2: So this is an issue deportations, people seeking asylum, the border, illegal immigration, all back on the table but not nearly to the degree they were before because, of course, we're in the middle of a cultural revolution, Scott. But uh, a lot of it involves the police, and it probably doesn't help The story that uh, was released this week that police have arrested the wrong man based on facial recognition, according to the American Civil Liberties Union.
4: This is uh, a case out of Detroit, and the name is uh, Robert Williams. And the stories indicate, Tim, that he may be the first person ever uh, falsely arrested due to facial recognition technology, at least that we know of. Uh, That's what's being widely publicized. And Detroit police basically... Uh, we're investigating a shoplifting um, theft from a watch store, and they just got an image from the security camera at the watch store and put it through their database of millions of images. And Mr. Williams' image came up, and uh, they basically uh, called him on the phone. They 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 knew we I mean he's a you know he's not like a you know on the lam or something. He's just a solid citizen in Detroit. They called him and told him to come down to be placed under arrest. He thought it was a joke. He drove home from work that day and was actually arrested and held for over 24 hours until the police finally uh, agreed that, uh, that they were mistaken. One of the police reforms that we could talk about would be uh, some kind of very significant liability payout system when the police, uh, without <laughs> proper evidence, arrest somebody and steal their liberty for a day or more. The, the respect for individual rights has got us from slavery to where we are now in terms of the recognition of rights of all human beings. Amen. If we want to go with collectivized notions of justice, we can expect simply to see uh, fewer cases where individuals are vindicated for the violation of their rights because an individual can't be uh, damaged if they're not held up as an individual. It's a right. It's a group thing, thing then.
2: And that's where we are, circa 2020. Now, let's talk about the Supreme Court now, but in this case, the Ohio Supreme Court upholding an anti-speed camera law.
4: There are some states that are just a hotbed of uh, speed ticket, uh, what's the right word, highwaymen? I, you speed almost traps. Say where, speed like traps, the, uh, yeah. The, and not just that, but that they've used the uh, ticketing automated ticketing system to just fill their own coffers to spend money how they like. And the Ohio uh, legislature and the Supreme court has said that people who are accused of speeding via one of these automated processes get the chance. If they wish to challenge their ticket, they get a, they get a hearing in front of a judge. Uh, But Toledo tried to, to put these people through a sort of an administrative process rather than a judicial hearing. And of course that benefits them two ways. Number one, it's much less expensive to maintain uh, an administrative hearing sort of body rather than an actual judicial process. And number two, Of course, it's much easier for them to prevail at an administrative hearing that they set up that doesn't uh, have to obey traditional notions of uh, due process and fair evidence. Those
2: court costs add up pretty fast for the defense, don't they, Scott? Absolutely. (laughs) Now, this next story, you sent this to me, and it seems so bizarre that I didn't even bother to look it up because only you could explain what this means, Devin Nunez cannot sue Twitter over a fake cow account.
4: Tim, unfortunately, Devin Nunez does not have a thick skin. He is the opposite. He's the most perhaps thin-skinned member of Congress I can think of, and he has coupled that with a penchant for a disrespect for the for First Amendment and the right to dissent. He manifests that um, that chiefly, Tim, by trying to sue people who criticize him publicly, And the reason why we know it's sort of a dishonest way to do it is he doesn't sue them in the jurisdiction where he lives or works or where the people who criticize them live or work or where Twitter has their servers, for instance. He does it in places that have uh, laws that are um, basically if you – they don't protect the little guy. And that's why he has sued in Virginia, for instance, uh, a number of uh, Twitter users. The the, the named party in this suit is – at Devin cow. Um, <laughs> these are, there's another one that purports to be his mother. And yeah, these are satirical. You
2: can't, you can't make this it's stuff true. up.
4: Yeah. And of course the right thing to do is either play along or ignore it. If you're the politician, right. But to try to unmask the user and then demonize them and perhaps sort of do all the things that we decry often against the left, I think is, is a poor choice. And this is a very good decision, Tim for free speech it says that Twitter enjoys the Protection from the Communication Decency Act, they didn't do anything wrong. And the tweets in question are not criminal and won't be unmasked.
2: How about the cows? Is there an uprising among, uh, among
4: cattle about this? I think, the, uh, I think the jury's still out there.
2: Okay. You'll report back to us on that not next sure. week, I'm sure. Finally, Scott, California voters get to decide the fate of a ban on affirmative action.
4: Oh, wow. What a what an upsetting story, Tim, that California may actually move now back to uh, a system where people are being legally able to be discriminated against by the color of their skin. This has to do with um, the California Civil Rights Initiative, which uh, undid the state racial preference system that had existed for so long and. Um, Boy, I, I'm kind of at a loss just because it seems like so poisonous to kind of reintroduce race as a reason to accept or deny somebody. For instance, in higher education, we know, Tim, that uh, that if that is implemented, the worst people uh, to have it are Asians who are massively discriminated against, um, and uh, perhaps the the tiniest of minorities see the best in terms of like American uh, Native Americans. They get the the biggest bump, but this classification of people into race and giving them rewards or punishment, uh, based on their own skin color is, uh, it's anathema to, uh, to Liberty and, uh, and freedom. So I hope that the citizens of California don't, uh, choose this course, but, uh, but we'll see.
2: Speaking from a point of white privilege, Scott,
4: you know what, Tim, I wonder if, because I just, did I just advocate that they not pass legislation and is that threatening to our 501 C three, not like that particular answer, but just globally is it better to just recut it without that? Yes. Hopeful part. Okay. Tim, uh, the people of California will once again have the opportunity to rule on whether they want affirmative action. Um, They uh, disallowed race-based preferences in uh, 1996, I believe it was. And now there's a movement, I guess, with the popularization of the Black Lives Matter movement to reintroduce uh, discriminating against massively Asians and a little bit uh, whites uh, in order to uh, allow blacks and uh, Hispanics to get advantage because of the color of their skin. And that that the Californians will have a chance uh, to vote on that in November because the state uh, assembly and uh, and Senate now have ratified that question to be to appear on the ballot.
2: Well, in this era of white privilege shaming, Scott, I'm sure that uh, the pro-affirmative action stance will fly through.
4: It's important to remember that under current federal law, it is only illegal to discriminate against some races and not others. And that's chiefly what the, uh, the California provision would do. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Tim. This program, Liberty
2: Nation Radio and LibertyNation.com's own podcasts, The Uprising, hosted by Scott, and The Rabbit Hole, Politics and Prose, Where Past is Prologue, with our own Mark Angelides, all available on demand at LibertyNation.com and from fine podcast providers everywhere. So that is it for this week, but we will be back at you next week. Same time, same station. Till then, this is Tim Donner saying stand up for liberty. And we'll see you next time on Liberty Nation Radio.
1: Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and community safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.
0: Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino